Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Alrighty, go ahead right now. I want you to take a moment and think about a time when you were lost. Now, if you are under the age of 30, I know that can be a little tough to do. You've always walked around with a little computer in your hand telling you exactly where to go. But just just go with me here. Think about that time when you were lost. Now, just as an aside, I actually called my mom. I was trying to think of a time when I was really little, when I had maybe gotten lost in a department store or something like that. And she said, well, honey, you never got lost when you were little because I kept you on a leash. So (laughs) do with that what you will. I didn't know I was one of those kids, but apparently I was. But seriously, think about that. What does it feel like to be lost? What feelings rise up in you when you're lost? Who has to turn down the radio? Nobody? I have to turn down the radio. I don't know why. But one of the things I know about getting lost is that it's never the intention, right? You never quite know how you got there. Oftentimes, it can be one wrong turn or just one step too far away from the person you're with, and it can be scary. It can be confusing. For me, it gets really frustrating. That's the emotion that kind of rises up in me. But today, we're going to talk about a story in the Bible where Jesus knows a little something about being lost. And so um, this is one of my favorite stories. I'm going to read it through. We're in Luke 15, 1 through 7, and it'll be on the screens for you, too. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, I want to start off here with a little bit of context so that we can get a feel for who Jesus is talking to in this parable. Now, really quick, if you don't know, a parable is a story that Jesus uses to teach a lesson. Now, I love this because Jesus is a big fan of getting right down on the level of the people he's talking to. He wanted to speak to them in language that they would understand. Because a parable is essentially revealing the heart of God to people who are far from God. So here in Luke, Luke 15, Jesus is about to lay down some truth. And he is putting this truth out there for a really interesting group of people. So let's take a look here in Matthew 15 at who we're dealing with. Verses 1 and 2 once again said, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and then it goes on. So who do we have here? We have our tax collectors, we have our sinners, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. This group of people together is wild, absolutely wild. Now, I know I have some Friends fans in the room, so that's like particularly why I'm using this reference here. I am a huge Friends fan. I I actually believe that one of my superpowers in this life is being able to take any real life thing and relate it back to an episode of Friends. And I have one for you this morning. 
There's an episode of Friends where Joey takes a job as a tour guide at the museum, and it's the same museum his best friend Ross works at as a paleontologist. And Joey's working, and he's going into the lunchroom and thinks, I'm going to have lunch with my best friend, only to find out there is a very serious hierarchy in place, and, and Ross wants nothing to do with Joey. And so that is kind of what we have going on here. Some really interesting people who, they, who know that they are part of this hierarchy. Let's look at each group. First up, we have the tax collectors. Now, to understand the role of a tax collector, we have to understand the makeup of the world in first century AD. You see, Rome basically ruled most of the known world. And that was a landmass roughly the equivalent from England all the way to India. So it was huge. And it needed to be governed in some way. Um, and the way that they found to do this was via tax collectors. They would divide up territories, uh, and then, much like our states, but then the Romans would let people buy those territories. Now, that doesn't seem all that different than how we run things, right? And how, like, Canada, places like that. But here's the difference. The Roman reign at that time was brutal, absolutely brutal. They were known to steal, kill, rape, and destroy anything and everything to get what they wanted. And so we have these tax collectors who are collecting money from the people, and they are now seen as complicit to that. They are hated. On top of it all, they're taking money back more than what is even owed for themselves. And so these guys had a bad reputation. And then the next group of people that we encounter here are the sinners. Now, in the first century, sinners were a people class. This is another group of people that had a bad reputation, right? Because they were known for breaking all the laws and commandments set forth by God. But then you also had the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there who knew by heart all of these laws and commandments that the sinners were guilty of breaking. And so they knew it so well that they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And so these Pharisees are ready probably to cause some trouble. The fact, again, that these people are all together is nuts. Because what we're looking at here is a social order, just like what we saw in the museum with the characters from Friends. All these people from all different walks of life gathered around to hear what Jesus has to say, and let me tell you, it is something completely countercultural to everything that they have ever heard. I have a little bit of a picture in my head of what it must have felt like to be there. Like maybe you have the tax collectors and the sinners who've shown up feeling a little fearful. There has to be something in them that had some self-awareness of what they were bringing to the party, the mess that they were coming in with. And I kind of find myself wondering if they weren't there because they'd heard rumors of what Jesus was up to and they were there to try and figure out what do I have to do to make this right? How do I get it right? How do I pay my penance? They were second-class citizens, and so I find myself wondering if they're there to make it right. And then we have the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes were there, and I kind of wonder if they weren't there waiting with bated breath for the other shoe to drop. They're there ready for Jesus to go on the attack because they've seen the mess that these people are doing, all the laws, all the commandments that they're breaking, 
And I do not for one second believe that they were there to listen to anything that Jesus had to say. They were there as spectators, ready for a bloodbath, waiting, waiting, ready to gloat with malicious joy in the demise of these sinners. So those are our key players. These are the people that Jesus is talking to. And then he just goes in. I love this one little part. Suppose you're a shepherd. Now, I have to believe that this statement alone took the collective air out of the room. I think you probably could have heard an audible gasp. You see, that social order that we just talked about, right at the top we have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And then at the bottom of that social order would have been lepers. These are people deemed untouchable. But then, only one step above the lepers would be our shepherds. These are people that society deemed as cheats, nomads, dirty, unsophisticated. A shepherd's testimony was not even admissible in a court of law. And so this statement, this opening statement is super important because I think that this is how Jesus got people's ears to perk up. Now, spoiler alert, I don't actually think that the character that Jesus wants us to relate to in this story is a shepherd at all. It's the sheep, right? We know that. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. I need everybody to do me a favor really quick. It's going to be awkward. Just go with me. Turn to the person next to you and give them your best. Bah! Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. That's perfect. Guess what? We're all sheep. And, and guess what? We're doomed then, because listen, I have learned a few things about sheep in my studies, and it is not looking good. It's not looking good for us. Domesticated sheep are completely helpless. When trouble arises for a sheep, they're pretty defenseless. And when a sheep wanders out of the care of its shepherd, it is in great danger. Listen to some of the things that sheep do. First of all, they don't have claws, just hooves. That doesn't get you, get you many places, and it makes it so you can't run very well from danger, right? They don't, or they have teeth, but they're terrible, so all they can really eat is grass. They're known for just tripping and falling over all the time. They literally cannot protect themselves. This is the one that gets me. Sheep have been so known, they've been known to get so worked up by flies buzzing around their head that they will beat their heads against something over and over and over until they die of blunt force trauma to the head. <laughs> so it's not looking good, right? They can be feet away from water and become dehydrated and not drink it because their vision is poor and they can't see it. Or on the flip side of that, they drink contaminated water over and over and over again until they get some kind of intestinal bacteria and die from that. So here we have Jesus talking about a sheep that has wandered off and this is a problem, right? because a sheep outside of the care of its shepherd is in danger. But I also want to take just a moment and talk about the wandering. Now, I mentioned this up top. I don't know about you, but anytime I've gotten lost, it's never intentional. It's that one wrong turn. That one wrong turn that gets you so far off course, you don't even know how to get back. And I like that word wander, too. 
think, it makes me think of like a slow walk, right? You're just moving along, and then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you are miles away from where you started. And I think that that's what probably happened here with this sheep. I want to believe that that sheep didn't even realize it was wandering until it got out of the care of its shepherd and looked up and didn't recognize any of its surroundings. Have you been there? But oh, our good shepherd. I have this picture in my mind. He's standing out in his pasture and he's counting 96, 97, 98, 99. Okay, let's count again. That can't be right. 99, and that's it. There is a problem here. The shepherd springs into action. Something has to be done. He leaves the 99 in the open pasture to search for that one lost sheep. You see, every single one of those sheep are a vital part of his flock. The lost sheep must be found. It must be rescued. Did you know that sheep are community-driven? I love that. And I think that the shepherd knew that something was wrong because when a sheep is isolating, it can often point to some sort of sickness. So something was wrong. That sheep is sick. The wolves could be out. I have to do something. There is danger out there. And that shepherd hightailed it out of there to rescue the sheep because he knows here in my pasture, it's safe. There's protection. There's provision This action of the good shepherd is a testament to God's overwhelming love for us. He is not content with the vast majority of his children safely gathered in his presence. He longs for every single one of us to be reconciled to him. You see, our good shepherd's relentless pursuit of this one lost sheep so beautifully demonstrates the tireless efforts that God will go to to restore and redeem his people. He will leave no stone unturned, no valley unexplored. There is no darkness too deep for him to come find us. Our shepherd will go to great lengths to bring us back into the fold, for he values each and every one of us immensely. But it doesn't end there. When the shepherd finds his lost sheep, he joyfully lifts it onto his shoulders and returns home. There is no punishment, only joy. Only joy that the sheep has been found and can now return to where it was always meant to be, safe in the care of its shepherd. There was actually a fable going around for many, of year, uh, for many years that was paired with some art of Jesus carrying a sheep with a broken leg. Now, it's been thought that Jesus actually is the one that broke the sheep's leg to prevent it from wandering again. But I don't actually believe that. I don't believe that about my Jesus because what I know about Jesus is that he will go after us again and again. He is not going to break our legs to keep us from wandering. If we're going to wander, he's going to let us do it. But he will always find us and he will always heal us. You see, what I actually believe is that that splint that you see in that photo, that was Jesus setting the wound and binding it up so that it can heal correctly. I love this promise from Psalm 147, verse 3. It says, He heals the brokenhearted 
He binds up their wounds. That's a promise. The good shepherd sets it and wraps it so that it can heal properly, so that the sheep can continue to live a life of abundance in the shepherd's care with daily provision and everything she needs to thrive, where she can hear the voice of the shepherd that she knows and trusts. Are you getting the picture here, friends? God's love for us is not merely passive. It is active and it is transformative. He will come after you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to bind up your wounds and place you on his shoulders and carry you home to a place where you are safe and you are loved and protected and provided for. And when we allow ourselves to be found by that good shepherd, surrendering, surrendering to his loving grace, life just looks different. So what does all of this mean for us? How do we respond to this relentless pursuit and lavish grace for us? Well, I think it comes down to a couple simple things. First of all, we have to acknowledge our need. You, just like that verse I read from Isaiah, we all have gone astray and we will continue to go astray. We have to see our lostness and we have to see and accept our shepherd's uh, guidance and care for us. And I think that the big way to do that, that big way to acknowledge our need is that we have to get humble. You see, humility enables us to admit that we cannot navigate life successfully without him. Humility looks like recognizing that the pasture that he has placed us in and contained us in is actually for our protection. Humility looks like trusting that the good shepherd will provide just like he's promised. It's knowing the voice of our shepherd. But then we also have to make another decision. And that decision is to return to the shepherd. You see, if we mess up that first part of our response, knowing that we need the shepherd, it's going to be really easy to wander again and again and again. But we have to turn our hearts back to God and allow him to restore us to the fold. I have a video I want you to take a look at. Now, I know that that's really funny, but it so clearly demonstrates how dumb sheep are, right? How many of us have been there, though? This just kills me. We've been rescued only to return right back into the place that we've been rescued from. We have to let him rescue us. And then, through repentance and seeking his forgiveness, we find our way back into the loving embrace of our shepherd because that trench that we want to jump right back in may feel safe in the moment, but there's nothing else there for us, right? So we have to let him rescue us. Repentance is a literal turning back to God. It's recognizing all the junk in our lives that has to go, that needs to be given back to God. Now, I know that this is hard. It's hard for me, but repentance is constant. It's constant. It doesn't go away because in our world, we are constantly put in positions to surrender to something other than God. Our world is constantly throwing things at us to try and make us believe that there is something better than him 
or that make us believe that he isn't good enough. But listen to this. Our fear actually is our unbelief that God is better than everything he says he is and everything he says he'll do. But this is where it comes down to our heart. Because we will give God anything when we truly believe that he's everything. And then there's one more part. I think that there's one more way to respond to this rescue, and that is we have to embrace our role. You see, as we experience God's relentless pursuit and his transformational love, we are called then to extend that same love and care to others. There's some verses in Ephesians, and I'm actually going to read it from the message because it's kind of sassy and I like it. (laughs) But it's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did it all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Friends, we know what it's like to be lost but even better, even more beautiful, we get to know what it's like to be found. We get to be instruments of his grace. We get to be the ones celebrating when a lost sheep is finally home. You see, lambs learn from their sheep. And so we get to be the ones seeking out the lost and pointing them towards the shepherd who wants to rescue them who wants to bring them home to a place of abundance, to that place of provision, to that place of love, deep love. I want you to think about those three responses, those responses to this lavish love that we just talked through. Have you acknowledged your need for rescue? Or are you still that lost sheep out on its own? If that's you, please hear these words. You are deeply loved by Jesus who longs to bring you into the fold. Listen for his voice. He's calling you. I know it. Or maybe you're in that place where you need to return again. Just do it. Climb out of the trench. Those things that you are holding so tightly in your hands, open your hands, place them at the feet of the good shepherd. He can handle it. He will take it. Or maybe you're ready to embrace your role. You're saying, put me in, coach. You're ready to extend that same love and care to others that Jesus has shown you. Wherever you are in that process, know and trust the love of Jesus is surrounding you. He is with you. He will guide you. He will bind up your wounds. He will rescue you over and over and over again. So where are you? Have you been believing the lie that you have wandered too far off? Because you haven't. Or do you feel like you've messed up your life and God couldn't possibly want to bandage it together? Because he will. 
But let me tell you this. He loves you and wants all the best for you, his precious sheep. We're never too far gone. There is always enough grace and he will always find us. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.